asked me as we kind of head into the fall, um, before John stands up to preach, to share with you briefly some of my hopes and vision for our ministry to the children in our church family here at Incarnation. So this is like beginning of the school year kickoff, okay? Um, for the entirety of our life as a church, so four years now, um, approximately 25% of our church members have been under the age of 10, which is astonishing to me and somewhat unusual. And I think that it points to something that God has put before us as a specific calling here at Incarnation. Are we good? Okay. So I want to start by pointing out the obvious to you, um, that you all have children in your church family, like it or not. <laughs> whether you're a kid person or not, whether you're ever going to volunteer for Sunday school or not, right? You are related to these children in Christ. Um, and so you have a role in their lives as disciples of Jesus, even if it's a small role. So my comments this morning are not going to be an appeal for volunteers or a description of the specifics of our children's ministry. Um, those will come separately. Um, but I want to paint for you today a picture of the part that we all get to play in the lives of our children here at Incarnation. Our greatest hope for them, of course, is that as they grow up in this community with us, these children will taste and see that the Lord is good and choose to love him and enjoy him with their whole lives. But there are three specific ways that I would like to see this happen at Incarnation specifically. So I'll share those with you this morning. The first one is that they will know we are Christians by our love. I really long for the children of this church to have a good, healthy, beautiful experience of Christian community. Just like growing up in a loving and healthy home makes it all the more likely that you're going to grow up and want to be married and have a family as an adult. So growing up in a loving and healthy Christian community nurtures an appetite for spending your whole life in a community of people who are following Jesus. This isn't rocket science, and it doesn't take big budgets or bells and whistles to accomplish, right? All it takes is that we reflect the loving character of God in the way that we interact with each other. Um, children are observant, and what they notice shapes them. So they can see Jesus, or not, in the way that we deal with conflict, in the way that we speak to each other about difficult people or relationships, in the way that we comfort and care for each other in pain, and in the way that we welcome new people into our midst. Their picture of God will be shaped by what they overhear in coffee hour, by what they hear on our end of the phone, by who we're dating and how we're dating, and who we invite to sit around our dinner tables. That kind of genuine love and beauty cannot be faked. So the very best thing that we can do for the children of Incarnation is simply for each one of us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pursue holiness in the secret moments, in the secret places, to let the Lord shape us through prayer and through the word, and to allow Jesus to change our hearts. The children of incarnation will know that we are real Christians by our genuine love, and that is something that all of us get to be a part of. So the first hope for them is that they experience real, genuine, loving community. Second hope is that they get to hear our stories. The book of Revelation says that the saints overcome the accuser, the evil one, by two things. See if you remember this. The blood of the lamb and, anybody know? The word of their testimony, right? They defeat Satan by their savior and their stories. Stories of what God has done for them. 
And the Bible gives us a very consistent picture of how these kinds of stories get passed on from generation to generation. Stories about what God has done are told when children ask questions. So let me give you a couple examples. In Exodus 12, Exodus 12 says this, When your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Why? For he passed over our houses, the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. Deuteronomy 6, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Joshua 4, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. But here's what's interesting. They didn't just sit around waiting for their children to ask questions. They actually did things to prompt those questions. Like, as we just heard, having Passover celebrations and monuments made out of stone. They filled their calendars and their landscape with things that would prompt their children to ask questions about what God had done for them. So we're going to make our own attempt at this kind of prompt at Incarnation this year. We're introducing what we're calling the Question Project. Each child is going to receive an as-of-yet undecorated um, question passport. Any artists who feel inspired to decorate the passports, talk to me. Um, each kid's going to get a question passport to travel back in time and hear what the Lord has done for us in the past in our lives. So each month, we're going to give them a question to ask as many of you as they possibly can. So something like, can you think of a time when God provided for you? Or can you tell me about a time in your life when God answered a specific prayer? Or what is something that changed about your life when you started to follow Jesus? They might ask you in coffee hour or over lunch or during your missional community meeting. But every time you answer those questions and speak about these things, every time you share your stories with our children, you are at work to overcome the evil one and his lies in their lives. After you've shared a story, they're going to ask you to sign their passport. And while they're collecting signatures in their passport, their hearts are going to be collecting firsthand reports of God's goodness and his character at work in this world and in our culture. So first hope is that they'll taste, get a taste of loving, healthy Christian community. Second hope is that we'll help them hear our stories. And thirdly, my third desire is that we invite the children of Incarnation to do kingdom work and worship alongside of us. So in one of their less glorious moments, as you might remember, Jesus' disciples get in trouble for trying to edit children out of his afternoon. He had just been teaching some serious theology on marriage when people decided they wanted to bring children to him. Go figure. So the disciples tried to send the children away. And of course, Jesus famously said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Don't send them away. I think there's a tendency in our culture as a whole to separate children from grown-ups, to send them away. And even in the church, we often have a default mode of separating children from adults. We can default to this in the way that we program our times together. And while there's certainly merit to times of presenting the good news in a contextualized, age-specific way, we want to make sure that we're not just sending the kids away all the time. 
So to that end, we're going to be welcoming many of our older children this year, ages 10 and up, to begin serving alongside of us on several of our Sunday teams as greeters and readers and prayer ministers, as coffee hour hosts and musicians. We're hoping that this will be an opportunity for them to discern and exercise their gifts and a great way for them to build relationships with adult disciples who are not their parents. So please do not hinder them. It may mean that you get an upside-down leaflet at the door. It may mean you have to suffer through a few mispronounced words in a reading. Um, but including them in the real work of the kingdom with us is not only good for them, it's good for us. We need them. Because right after telling his disciples not to send the children away, Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So we're not just training our kids to grow up and be more like us. We actually need to train ourselves to grow down and be more like them. Both of those things happen the best if we're not separated all the time. So we've got to let the children in on the best parts of life in the kingdom, the real joy and work of kingdom community, if we want them to stick with it for the long haul. So three hopes. One, that they have, an, they know we're Christians by our love, that they have an experience of loving, healthy Christian community. Two, that we have a chance to share with them the stories of what God has done in our lives, specific stories about our specific lives. And three, that we will include and welcome them into our kingdom adventures rather than sending them away all the time. This will help them grow up into the way of Jesus and help us grow down into the way of Jesus, right? This is a family project, and it's something that we're all in together. Um, so just in conclusion, let me draw attention. This I'm not even going to talk about it, but your insert this week talks about some of the specific ways that our ministry among children is going to be shaped this year. You don't need to read it now. Take it home and have a look. And um, please feel free to be in touch with me if you have any questions.